Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter. So cool to be going through the book of Revelation, finally, and what a good time for it today, looking at Revelation chapter 5. And this is a this is a really good moment here in the book of Revelation, because we get our first look at this lamb. The description is a lamb that looks as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, right? I mean, this is, uh, I, I've seen actually some artists uh, attempt this, right? And it's, uh, I mean, it's hard for it not to, I mean, kind of be a creepy image, right? But I mean, this is supposed to be an image of of Jesus Christ, right? The Lord, you don't typically see the seven eye, seven um, horns part when you have the lamb slain in the images in church, but what's going on with that seven thing? And also, right, um, hey, seven spirits, We've heard that before in Revelation. What's going on there? So we got some really cool images going on, but then also, right, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, hang on. I think that sounds familiar. I think maybe I heard it in church once, right? So we've got a couple of really cool things to be looking at today. Joining us, we've got Pastor Daniel Olson, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Luxembourg, Wisconsin, Good morning, brother. Good to have you with us. How are you and the people up there in Luxembourg? Oh, fabulous. We're all holding up during these uh, very, very strange times and uh, times that are causing a lot of people to be uh, filled with fear and uh, certainly, uh, if not that, concern. But yet, uh, even in the midst of this, we find great comfort in being pointed to the Lamb who sits on the throne and uh, having the confidence of knowing that he has opened the scroll and that uh, we are given the comfort of salvation through him, even in the midst of all of the things going on in our our world. Amen. We, we see again and again, we've been talking about this. It really is a message of comfort. And as you were just pointing us to, it's not even just the seven horns or um, the mention of power explicitly in the hymn, but also, uh, as you were saying, the set, the seven sealed scroll the idea of authority, the mention of the throne again, right? All symbols of power, and so good to know who is really in power, despite everything going on and all the appearances. I uh, I wanted to ask how how is it up there in Luxembourg? I know you know out here in Orange County, it's all just you know everybody just shelter in place. But um, what what's going on up there in that part of Wisconsin? Yeah, good question. You would think that, uh, you know, the the county, Kiwani County, we haven't actually had any confirmed cases here. There are some in Brown County just over from us. Uh, I don't believe any in Door County uh, to the north of us. But yet, um, nonetheless, the governor has put the uh, out his orders, uh, basically a shelter-in-place order similar to other places that are harder hit. And okay. that order, of course, states that unless there is, uh, you know, you need to go to the grocery store or something, um, you're to stay inside. Non-essential businesses have been uh, closed down. Uh, groups of 10 or less is the uh, is the rule. So that means that, unfortunately, um, we are really um, we're, we're troubled by the fact that we cannot gather together for corporate worship uh, as we uh, so look forward to doing, especially in times such as this. That is a that is a real strain on the church, of course, but at the same time, we are finding ways to connect with our fellow believers. We are still the communion of saints. We are still joined together uh, by our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, our Facebook page, St. Paul Lutheran 
Luxembourg. I've been putting up not just the Sunday sermons, but uh, daily uh, daily video messages, uh, words of comfort in a time of crisis. I put up a, a message for the children yesterday, which uh, just received extraordinary uh, Excellent. Of, of That's awesome. So we're, so we're glad that we're able to reach people. There is a it, it, it is a it is a very troubling time. We're bothered that we can't join together as a as a whole church as we um, love to do. But we are. Um, I am very um, encouraged that um, this does seem to be a time in which people are really. I think you know people they're refocusing. People right. realize that there are. There are things in this world that ultimately uh, we cannot control, and it is a time in which people are are looking for comfort and hope and strength, and and we right. have that. You know, right. and what a what a joy it is for the church to be able to find ways to try to reach out and provide that for people. Amen. Well, God God bless everything you're doing, and that He grant you a measure of uh, wisdom and patience in the midst of all of this, brother. Um, glad to hear though that that your people are, are doing well, all things considered. Let's go ahead and turn to this text here. Um, it is a shorter chapter, but as we've been seeing, these chapters of Revelation are just so packed full of things with this rich imagery and language. As we begin, would you say a prayer for us and for all our listeners and for uh, everybody out there at these times? Yes, absolutely. We pray. Almighty and most merciful God, in this earthly life, we suffer, we endure sufferings and death. We face so many challenges in this world. And we ask that at this time, as we see so much fear and so much suffering in our world, that you would do the same for us that you did for John in his revelation in Revelation chapter 5. Point us to the Lamb. We see that as John wept and was, was overwhelmed, that he was pointed to the Lamb who sits on the throne. Grant that at this time when so many in our nation are filled with fear and there is so much suffering, that all of us would be pointed to the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, that we would be pointed to the victory over sin and death that Jesus Christ has won for us, and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us through our hearing of your word, that we would be kept steadfast in our faith in Jesus as our Savior, that we would be able to face all of these times of crisis with the confidence and encouragement that you give to us, and that even in the midst of so much darkness coming over our land, that we would be able to hold forth that light of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's read just here the um, the first, maybe to the first four verses here, just to get it started, and um, we'll kind of consider then um, the connections. So here's Revelation chapter 5 in the English Standard Version here, the first four verses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Okay, so pausing there, um, you mentioned the scroll with its seven seals. We've talked a little bit about scrolls, but um, the, the seven seals part is 
kind of central to this little turn here, right? Um, so what, what do you, you know, what do you make of, of the seven seals? And then kind of before getting to there, right, how is this kind of fitting in with what we saw? Already starting with the one who's seated on the throne, and that was kind of the discussion in chapter four, the introduction of this throne room. And we were told a lot um, about this very unique throne room. So, yeah, connecting the, the circumstances in this throne room to these seven seals. Right. So seven, you know, number of completion, of course, seven in the Bible, number of completion and the seals. I think of, uh, you know, things being sealed in ancient times for security. Uh, they're kept safe. The contents are kept safe. And of course, for Christians, we think of the sealing of Jesus' tomb on uh, Good Friday. And we think of how important it is to have those, you know, for that to be open. And of course, uh, here, we're looking at the scroll. This is the, the message of uh, uh, salvation and uh, the need for that to be open, God's plan of salvation for the world. And it isn't just uh, opening it, of course, means to be putting it ultimately into effect. Right. That's right. The idea being that you, you have this scroll, right, and it's authorized by some kind of authority, right, and they seal it, which is to say— you can't open this, right? You can't read it. It doesn't, and as you said, right, more than that, um, isn't doesn't actually go into effect until the actual reader um, actually opens it up, right? I mean, if someone were to, um, you know, illicitly open up the scroll and break the seals, I mean, it's 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 worthless then, right? It's like you kind of think right. of um something like I don't I don't know, like if you uh like like if you go to a certain like uh, clothing stores, not that any of them are open right now, right? But they got, they got those tags, right? And those like ink things, right. right? And if you like, if you yeah. leave with with it without getting the thing taken off, right? And then you try to rip it off, right? You get ink all over it, right? Um, it, it's kind of analogous to that, right? It's like you, it's no good unless the right person can open this. And so it's interesting because on the one hand, uh, you know, John doesn't doesn't know what's in there. Um, I mean, he can't read it. No one can, right? But just just he knows it's a bad thing, <laughs> right? I mean, in verse four there, he just he starts to weep loudly. Um, so he he knows that it's important and it's it's necessary, right? Um, he doesn't know what's in there though. But I mean, as you said, uh, you, you know, this message of salvation. It seems to be that somehow John has an inkling that that's the kind of thing that's on there, right? It's just interesting because he he doesn't actually like know what's on the scroll. Right. It's a prophetic message though, and he knows that this is extremely important. He knows that this is God's message to people, and and he understands how essential it is that, that this scroll be open, that uh, the message be heard. And, uh, of course, immediately there is the uh, question of who is worthy to open. Well, you know, and John, uh, uh, you know, we're told in verse 4 that he begins to weep loudly because no one right. is found worthy to open the scroll. Well, who's worthy to open it? Well, don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, let's get the answer to the question here then. So here's so here's here's verse five then, right? One of these one of these elders, we the twenty twenty-four elders around the throne, right? So here's verse five. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, 
and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. All right. Just pausing there here. So as you were saying, right, don't look, don't look at me, right? So he, he knows um, now there is someone who can open this, and it's uh, kind of confusing because the first way he's described is, is a lion, um, but <laughs> he looks and it's actually a lamb. Um, so, I mean, very interesting. I mean, all these titles, right, all, all stacked on top. This is the guy who can open it. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb is those slain with seven horns and seven eyes. What a description. Yeah. So we see right away, you know, and I mean, certainly uh, these are things that are you know, certainly relevant at our time, but we, we see John uh, weeping. And, and, you know, as a side note to that, what happens? Where, where is John pointed? As, as he is weeping loudly, he's pointed, of course, to the Lamb. And it's there yeah. that he finds comfort and hope. We think of, you know, as I was you know, looking through this text and preparing for this, I just think of all of the, you know, all of the uh, uh, fear and the, all of the people, you know, weeping in the, the unsettled times. And it, it's, it's, we look at where John was pointed to, to the Lamb, right. pointed to Jesus, and it's, it's there that uh, we find comfort and hope. We look to the lamb who was slain, but is now alive. And we weep no more. But the titles, of course, the, the lion, the tribe of Judah, um, we make the connection, of course, I, uh, Genesis 49, 9 through 10, um, you know, is where we, we originally find that, that reference. This is referring to the, the uh, uh, human nature of, of Jesus. This is tracing back his... Uh, uh, human nature, and uh, we think of the root of Jesse and uh, Isaiah 11, 1 and 10. So we see all of those Old Testament references that ultimately uh, point us to the Messiah and the root of David. He is the one who, uh, you know, the, the, the son of uh, David, ultimately he is the one who reigns eternally from the throne of David, um, far greater than King David. But we see right. those those Old Testament references to him. And, of course, we think of Bethlehem, you know, the uh, city of David and so forth. So uh, all, all um, descriptions of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Right. So and it's, it's striking the way that, that they are all stacked together, too. I mean, we understand, you know, how, how many of those images and metaphors, they all, they all work by themselves— um, but you have them all, I mean, coming together here all at the, the same time, right? Which is, I mean, it's very striking that you describe him as both a, a lion and a lamb at the same time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. it, it is, it is there. I think there's kind of the, the paradox though, right? Because as you have the, uh, yes, the description, as you were saying, like the, the expectation that we have of the Messiah that, you know, like this is the guy who's going to inherit the throne of David, make good on the 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 covenant that God made with David, right? That his throne would never be without an heir, that it would go on forever, right? It's, it's the tribe of Judah. You know, this is what Jacob said of his sons, that the scepter would not depart from Judah, right? I mean, all, all these promises, right, of power and royal uh, royalty, right? Um, but right. then in verse 6, right, I mean, a lamb as though it had been slain, right? Like that's, um, it just kind of feels like it's the opposite of <laughs> what we— what we just heard read. I mean, you've got an old test, old Testament images, as you were saying, of power, and then um, I mean, a slain lamb, and that's a 
that's an image of of sacrifice. Right, right. Well, we think of Good Friday, right? The the uh, look, the Lamb of God, God Himself dying for His people. On the one hand, we you know we talk in uh, uh, the small catechism. Even we talk about the uh, Jesus state of humiliation and His exaltation. Uh, the state of humiliation. Uh, maybe my confirmation students who can't be in class right now are listening to this. Uh, you know, he possessed all power, but did not always or fully use it. So we see the power that this lamb has. We see the incredible, all of these titles. We think of Isaiah, you know, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. Jesus has so many titles, so many titles, so much power. But we see that Jesus does not always or fully use it. So on the one hand, possessing all power, all authority, God himself, ruler of the uh, uh, world, um, but yet putting that aside, uh, we think of Philippians uh, 2, 5 through 11, uh, putting that aside so that he might lay down his life and make the payment for the sins of the world. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in an incredible scene. So we see the lamb as though it had been slain, uh, laid down his life, but yet now is alive. So we see that he has come back, he has conquered, he has overcome death. Cer- certainly. Um, and, and I think there's a, there's a couple other connections to make about that that as though slain comment. Um, but I want to turn here, we got a, a question or a, rather a comment here um, on the phone here from Larry. Good morning, brother. Uh, what, what do you got for us here looking here at Revelation chapter five? What are you thinking? Um, two things. First of all, I, I have been taught uh, years ago by Pastor Bischoff. We went through Revelation after he retired uh, on a private study owner, and we also did it in Bible class. And there was a couple quick points. Number one, I like the uh, the seven seals as likened to registered mail. Once you put it in the mail, it's sealed. No one can open that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, right? Right, so right. That like makes sense. Pri- it's like private property. Once uh-huh. you give it to the post officers, nobody else that can open other than you. In this case, mm-hmm. no one could open it other than Christ. Mm-hmm. So, right. secondly, that's a good illustration. Secondly, um, the pastor, your pastor guest, referred to yes. seven, seven as complete. And mm-hmm. I have never been, I've never been, I've never heard that before. I always likened the number seven to God, the four corners of the earth, which are expounded upon very well in Revelation mm. and the Trinity. I, mm. I was always taught, pardon? Go, go ahead, go ahead. And I was always taught that 10 represents the number of completion. So I just, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that, but I do believe that seven represent, is God's number, four corners right. of the earth and the Trinity. And we know right. going back to Genesis, it talks about the Trinity in the creation intertwined. Certainly. So anyway, those are my comments. Yeah. Have a great day. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, th- thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, Larry's got uh, yeah, a couple of um, yeah, interesting points to make here, brother. Um, yeah, about, about the number seven, I think. Um, you know, we, I think we've talked about that a little bit so far. And, and that is, um, by the way, Larry, I mean, the, the four corners plus the three of uh, the Trinity— I mean, that, that's something, I mean, I think that goes back to one of the church fathers. So, I mean, yeah, that's certainly um, an old way of looking that, at that as well. 
But to your point, I do think that there is a little bit of um, confusion sometimes because sometimes we say, well, seven is the number of completion. And then sometimes you say, well, 10 is the number of completion. <laughs> so it's like, well, now hang on, which one's the number of completion, right? Um, and I mean, I'll, I, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Pastor Olson, but at least the way that I break it down, you know, I see 10 as sort of like the, uh, almost in a sense, kind of like complete as in man's reckoning of completion, right? Like if there's something that, you know, we're going to see later on, um, there's a, there's a kingdom that lasts a thousand years, right? And, and that's right. a way kind of human, humanly speaking of thinking of, wow, it's a really long reign or really long rule. It's like, you know, complete dominion, right? Um, from that kind of human perspective. And, and of course, even we're going to see uh, 12,000 sealed, right, um, from each of the tribes. And so, you know, that's your, that's your 12 uh, number, but then a thousand, which is just, you know, 10 cubed, right? So we're going to see like this 10 number in terms of completion, but there's also this seven number. And I, and I think that when you talk about seven as a number of completion, I think you can say that it's number of completion, but I think it's complete in a very particular way. Um, what, what do you think? Well, I mean, a lot of these numbers, I mean, and I, you know, the seven to the three plus four, I, I understand what, uh, understand what the caller is saying there's there's a lot of uh different interpretations that are given to those numbers but in seven is sure. uh, uh certainly uh the number of completion uh, considered to be the number of completion at times um and i it does go back uh you know the three plus four and and so forth but uh i i think ultimately um you know the number seven we do see it as uh and a number that comes up frequently and uh, there are different theories on this no doubt about it yeah no, no certainly and and i don't think that you know it, it's necessarily like a like a code like you have to be like you know like oh this number represents this letter and and so forth though i mean that's not that's not impossible in other instances perhaps but i, I think when you go back as, as larry as uh, larry mentioned you know, the, the first instance that you have in the Bible, really, of seven, right, is in the creation account, right? Right. Um, and, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because there, you know, seven, it's not just actually a number of uh, completion the way it's presented. It's a, it's a number of work, right? I mean, the idea is you've got this work week, right? It's kind of the, the basic unit of, of work. You, you work a day, um, another day, another day for six days, and then the seventh day, you rest from work and you restore, you have restored your energy uh, for the next week. You enjoy the fruit of your work from that week, right? So, I mean, it's kind of the, the completion of work and particularly God's work, actually, right? So I, I think that when you appreciate that, um, these instances of seven aren't just, um, aren't simply like complete power or, um, complete authority or the rest, but you, you think of it as um, complete in the sense of this is what God is bringing to completion. This is a creative act of God, and it's given by God. So when it's sealed with seven seals, it's like this is sealed by God. <laughs> and when and when you see this uh, this lamb standing with uh, seven horns and seven eyes, what seven horns? That's the power of God. Seven eyes, that's the, the, the wisdom, the, the sight, the omniscience, right, of God, and, and so forth. So, I mean, I, I think it's, a, it's not merely completion, a little bit bigger than that, but more, more certainly yeah. could be said. We got, we got to take our short little break here. 
But when we get back, we'll we'll look at this a little bit more and uh, kind of read this next few these next few verses here in Revelation chapter five here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor H.S. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 5, joined today by Pastor Daniel Olson, pastor at St. Paul Luxembourg in Wisconsin. If you've got a question for me or Pastor Olson here as we look at this chapter with the, the seven-horned, seven-eyed, uh, no, not purple people eater, uh, the seven-horned <laughs> and seven-eyed lamb as though slain, you can give us a call you can call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email if you're listening live, if you've got a question, kfuo at kfuo.org. Also want to make sure to thank our underwriters. Thank you guys at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support underwriting the program. They're at lhfmissions.org. All right, so yes, we were just uh, talking about that, you know, that number seven there, right? That it's a it's a number of work, it's a number of, um, you know, God, and so I mean, I, I think the idea with all this seven, right, is, is that this is the one who works on behalf of God. This is the one uh, whom through whom God is working, right? I mean, like it's it's kind of not not simply completion, though. Of course, if God's the one who's working through Him, then obviously, I mean, he's going to be supreme in all respects, but I don't think it's just talking about his supremacy so much as it is kind of directing to us to say like, hey, who does he represent, you know, which which is, of course, why he's able to open the scroll and all the rest of it, right? Sure. And, and the number seven, I mean, it, it is a holy number and, and it's complete. Um, 
so, you know, I mean, it's suggesting here what it's showing here. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of theories that uh, people get into the exact nature of what uh, uh, the number seven uh, is, you know, what the three plus four and uh, all of these all of these things. And I'm, I'm not really sure just how definitively some of those theories that are out there that sure. you can uh, go into that. Um, but it's, you know, the point that is being made here is that uh, this is sealed by God. And it is guarded against unlawful usage and interpretation. That's what is, uh, that's what's happening here. And so, you know, right. making it clear that this can only be opened by the one who is worthy. And uh, right. that, of course, is no one on earth. It is the Lamb alone. Well, uh, y- yes, and, and th- that there's that uniqueness, right? And I think that that uniqueness uh, is what kind of draws our attention to to this um, this final description of the number seven that we have read there um, in verse six. The seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, um, which is which is interesting because we've heard this actually kind of a couple times. I don't know if we've talked about it very much actually, though, in these first five chapters of Revelation. Um, that we saw that at the very beginning, um, back in Revelation chapter 1, 4, where at the beginning, and that was a very interesting way that John put it. We didn't, I, I don't think we actually really gave this enough time, but he, when he's introducing the letter, right, he says, you know, grace to you and peace from, from, from whom, right? From like, who is he talking yeah. about? Um, from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. So you have three froms, right? It's it's from, I mean, what it looks like, and this is how um, Dr. Brighton takes it in his commentary on Revelation, right? Uh, you've got mm-hmm. from the Father, um, and the, obviously the last one, right? Jesus Christ from the Son. So then who's uh, the middle one, the seven spirits? Well, that would be a way of referencing the Holy Spirit, which is a very... Wow interesting way of thinking about the, the Holy Spirit. I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily always think of the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits of God, but we've seen this language before. We saw it back in Zechariah, even, when we were looking back at the, the image there where you had the, the sevenfold lampstand, and it was it actually pretty much almost said the exact same thing word for word as what we have here, that you have these uh, seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps, and, and there it is. God just says this to Zechariah there, right? That these are, it says what, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. So it's almost a direct quote from Zechariah. So what do you, what do you make of this about particularly the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth? Well, I mean, this is the, uh, you know, we're talking about, talking about God, God's word is going out throughout the world, right? Um, Into all the earth. So, right, I mean, right. The the, the word the word goes out just like you were saying. Even when we can't gather together, the the, the word, right? You were saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's the the word is going out, and um, he sees all. You know, we talk about the seven eyes. Well, it's obviously talking about the fact that the exalted Lamb he sees all things. Right. Right. Yeah, cer- well, certainly, right, the idea of, of omniscience, seeing all things, and, I mean, just very striking, though, when we go back and we consider um, Zechariah, and, um, of course, um, interesting 
too, that in the very next chapter, in um, chapter five of Zechariah, there was a, that big scroll that we looked at, right? Um, even even had the number 10 there, right? Uh, so a few different things going on there. But remember, in, in the context of Zechariah, right, we're talking about um, rebuilding the temple, right? Like we're, we're, not, we're not quite there yet. We don't have a temple for us all to come together and gather together. We've just, we're, I mean, we're still in the midst of recovering from being scattered all over the earth in the midst of the Babylonian exile, right? So that is a way I feel like that really connects the dots to our own situation where, you know, I, uh, it's, it's actually interesting. This has come up in conversation, right? Someone um, was asking like, well, I mean, how can, how can your God allow this that, you know, um, you know, people um, e even perhaps in, in contexts of worship and prayer have become sick or, you know, even now, like you can't even go to your places of worship, you know, why, why would God allow that sort of thing? And um, you know, one of the things I said was, well, you know, a lot of the Bible talks about how God allowed his own temple to be destroyed. And he's kind of the one actually who sent the, the Babylonians to go do it. Um, so uh, this is really, in some ways, really not uncharted territory. And in the midst of it, though, in the midst of the, the exile back in Zechariah's day um, and, and before his time, really, I mean, they still had the word, though. I mean, they didn't have they didn't have the temple. The sacrifices weren't being offered, right? You know, and so and we are are sadly having to go without um, the sacrament of the altar right now, as we can't gather together. But like the exiles, um, we still have this word in the midst of our time of being scattered, and and so that's really a comfort to see. Hey, that means that the Holy Spirit is still with us. The Holy Spirit is still in our midst. Even if we can't gather together, the seven spirits of God, they're all over the earth. Uh, you, you can't be separated from the Holy Spirit just because you're scattered. Right. The ministry of the Word still goes on throughout the world. We still have God's Word with us. Even if we are uh, not able to gather together corporately, that Word is still with us. And the Church has seen this in times past. People have been scattered God's people have been scattered throughout the world in times past, and yet the Word is still with us. Right. Well, and, and then, uh, uh, of course, you know, we say the Word here. Uh, let's piece the picture together here. So this is supposed to be a picture of the Lord Jesus, right? I mean, it says, as though it had been slain, a lamb as though it had been slain. And the language there is a little bit odd, because it, it's not trying to say, well, he 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 had not been slain. It just kind of looked like he looked looked like he was you know almost slain or something like that. That, that that's not the idea. The idea is um, it looks at almost as though um, he should be dead still, right? Um, be, because of the wound. But clearly here, even though he has this this mortal wound, and we're going to see that language actually later in Revelation thirteen, um, he has this mortal wound that that looks like it should have killed him. He's standing. Right. So he's alive. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's the, the language that it looks like he, he, he's been killed, but clearly he's alive still. Right. And so, of course, this speaks right. to, as you were saying, Good Friday, Easter. Right. He's he's raised up. So if it's a picture of the Lord Jesus, then why do you have the description of the seven spirits when that's the Holy Spirit? Well, I mean, it shows the tight connection between the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you've got the seven eyes. Well, who do they belong to? If you got the sevenfold spirit, who who else do you have? Well, you have Jesus Christ. You have the spirit of Jesus. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you actually still do receive Jesus, even if you cannot receive the Lord Jesus um, in his in his body and blood given in the sacrament. 
when you have the word, well, who's the word? It's Jesus too. So it's not as if we're only getting one person of the Trinity here. You you get the Lord Jesus who these eyes belong to. Right. I mean, John chapter 1, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And so— right. We still have we still have Jesus, and He bears the marks of His wounds. We see that, um, you know, Jesus still has the marks from His uh, from His suffering. Exactly, exactly right. He sees it. John does, even in the form of this uh, vision here. So, um, yeah, very, very, <clears throat> very rich imagery here, and and something that speaks as it connects to Zechariah to our to our own time. Let's go ahead and read. Uh, the next portion here, like maybe the next like kind of third of this chapter. So this is what then this lamb is going to do. He's standing up, even though it looks like he should be dead. He's he's alive. He's standing. What's he going to do? Verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and, sep- and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This, I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a very interesting moment here. Uh, it's kind of interpreted for us a little bit that you got the, the, these harps and these bowls of incense, um, which are said to be the, the prayers of the saints. So, I mean, we have a little bit of it kind of being decoded for us here. But but what they say, I mean, that's really interesting the way they talk about it. To to make a kingdom and priests to our God, um, it, it's a it's an interesting way of talking. But again, it's it's not just John here in Revelation that talks that way in the New Testament. Right. I mean, in First Peter 2, of course, we're told that we are a kingdom of priests. We understand that we are priests of Jesus Christ. A priest is one who sacrifices. Of course, mm-hmm. we know that Jesus is the one who made the uh, propitiatory sacrifice, the sacrifice for our sins. But we now offer up the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to him. And then, you know, we see that with the uh, golden bowls. The prayers of the people are the golden bowls of incense. Uh, so, of course, we immediately think of the image of uh, Psalm 141, uh, verse mm. 2, let my prayer be counted as incense yeah. before you, and the lifting up my ha- of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we see that connection between the um, incense and the temple as they offered up the sacrifices. Well, Jesus has offered up that perfect sacrifice for us. So we offer up the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. As right. Well, and, and that's, isn't that interesting though too, right? To have that temple language here, right? Because we were just talking about, you know, in, in Zechariah, who's basically like quoted here, right? We're, we're they're dealing with a circumstance where they don't, you know, have a temple yet. They're still building it. Um, and yet to have a priesthood, it kind of like presupposes that you have a place where you can come together and worship and, and, and do these things. Right. So, I mean, I, I feel like this really does again, speak to our situation that, you know, even though, you know, we really wish that we were, you know, in, in our, you know, not necessarily uh temples cause we have a different way of understanding that, but 
inside our, our church sanctuaries, right? And sometimes they have right. incense and even if they don't have incense, they, you know, they've got like those candles and, um, you know, and these symbols that we have, these, these physical, you know, tangible things that you can look, look at such great comfort and all of that. But just as you were saying, brother, um, you know, just like the Old Testament people of God who had to sometimes go without those things, you know, we still pray like the Psalm says, right? Um, that when we pray in the morning, when we pray in the evening, even if that's not out, not in a sanctuary, even if there's no, no incense or, or no, um, no sacrifice there, the prayer itself is like a temple sacrifice. I mean, in, in prayer, it's like we are, we are there, um, even if we are physically separated. Right. And we, you know, First Peter 2, uh, 4 and 5, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our churches are uh, wonderful, beautiful places to gather together, to be able to receive God's gifts, but yet our buildings are not the church. The church right. is a spiritual household. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ and our spiritual sacrifice, our sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise, we offer that up. We are separate right now to a certain degree. For many, even to a great degree, there are those who are uh, completely um, uh, isolated. But yet we know that we are joined together by our faith in Jesus Christ. And as we offer up our uh, sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as we offer up our pray our prayers we are told that it is as incense going up right. before the Lord so it's a beautiful image and great right. and a, a great comfort right and I really love that that language um, you know from uh, it was from First Peter right that you were reading from there yeah First Peter um, two four and five mm -hmm. that that's right that, the five. idea of um, being living stones right like if if Jesus yeah. Christ is the temple as he says right in in in, uh, in John right tear down this temple and I'll raise it up in three days this idea of him being the temple right and we're part of his body the temple then we're the stones of the temple and isn't that just something to think about that even if we are separated here it's not like we have no temple and we can't gather in the temple um, because we, we, we are the temple. Um, and, and in prayer, um, you, you experience that and you're part of that. And it really just goes to show that, well, I mean, in the season of Lent, of course, in general, but in times like this where we are separated, it, it just means that we got to pray more. I mean, prayer is just all the more important. I mean, prayer is how we maintain the connection that we have, even when we, we can't see each other face to face, even when we can't talk face to face. It just it just means that hey guys it's time to double down on prayer you know and if if uh you know praying you know regularly twice a day um you know in the morning in the evening and and then praying before any meals if that's not been something that that you're doing or if that's something that you, you used to do and you fell out of it this is this is the time to get back into that and to enjoy the blessing and the comfort that it is it just as you were saying brother um I want to read here the the last chunk here because uh, the, the the bit that we just read um, was kind of very specific about the scroll and the seals, but this is the part that's going to sound familiar um, to a lot of people, and, then, and it's, re it's really cool that we have this as part of our liturgy, but uh, here it is, verse 11 onward now, in Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked, 
And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So amazing scene in the throne room of God. And even though this is uh, the song of myriads of myriads, right? You know, so you're talking about, you know, millions of angels, right? Even though this is the song of angels and the four living creatures and the elders. Well, now hang on a second. I think we sing this song too. <laughs> yeah, we do, don't we? This is the feast, right? Yep. So beautiful, beautiful hymn of praise, a beautiful hymn of uh, victory, and uh, especially, uh, you know, no greater time to hear it than on Easter Sunday, as right. we sing the uh, the sing of Jesus' victory over death itself. Um, and you know, sadly, this uh, this Easter, maybe we aren't going to be uh, singing that together in church, but hopefully families will be singing that at home as we do indeed celebrate His victory and understand the importance of it more now than, than maybe we did in the past. Amen. I hope that that is what, what God does for us in the midst of all this, that, you know, as we're separated, that we not take for granted um, the, the blessing it is to come together and that we, when, when we come out of this, that we avail ourselves of it more, all the more and that we, we come back into it with, with more discipline and more regularity and more joy and, and that we find ways to spend more time with each other and, and that we don't overlook that blessing perhaps as we had been um, and taking it for granted. The, uh, as you were saying, this, this, this is the feast. It's such a, a beautiful song and it is so beautiful on Easter morning when after, you know, this 40 days of fasting, you go to feasting, right? You go from Lent to Easter and you, and you sing this song and it really, this, this gives us so much color to it the feast is not just with the people who are even gathered there, right? I mean, it's of right. course a beautiful thing right. when you have so many people on Easter and one of the best parts of Easter, right? It's just seeing, there's more, there's usually just more people, right? Who are there, right? For various reasons. But it's so great to see like the, you know, the crowd um, all there celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. But look how big the crowd is, right? I mean, it's, it's not right. just with the, crowd of people who are there on Easter Sunday in your sanctuary, but it's with every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, as it says in verse 13, this is all creation that ultimately yeah. sings this hymn. Yeah, so we join together with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven in singing right. his praises. And what an amazing thing it is to know that we are joining together uh, not just with those that are gathered together with us, but those who are gathered around God's throne right now, singing uh, praises to the Lamb who is victorious. So it is uh, oftentimes 
you know, you think about that. Oftentimes in this world, churches, uh, because of numbers and challenges that we face, they, they feel very alone, don't they? Our churches oftentimes feel that, uh, that we're so small and we're so isolated, and right now, even more so, more than ever. But yet we are reminded that we are not alone. Uh, Christ is with us, of course. God is with us. But we also join together with all those who are gathered together around his throne. And the comfort that that gives to us. Amen. And you know that's. Um, I mean, it really is something too. Just even like the nature language, right? That, and we we saw this back um, earlier. I mean, it really is Genesis language when you're talking about these these four living creatures. I mean that that word there. It's just the four. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's one word in Greek. The four livings, right? The four life forms. The four lives. It, it's supposed to be a word that can refer to i mean you know just well i mean literally like any living thing like actually kind of i mean almost particularly referring to animals right i mean like that that's the way that um you, you know when, when you when you have psalms like like psalm 145 right um right. and the eyes of all look to you O lord and you give them their food in due season you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing Right. And, and then, you know, the Psalms go and talk about, you know, how he, you know, uh, he feeds the ravens and he you know feeds the cattle. Um, I mean, he 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 gives prey to the lion who hunts. Right. I mean, all all that language is saying that, you know, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit last time. You know, it's when our Lord says that, hey, you know what, if uh, if, if these people wouldn't praise God, then, you know, God could make the rocks sing out. Uh, for him, that all of creation, really, right? Even if you are there in your, you know, little uh, congregation, and even if it's a small group, or even if, you know, we're separated and we can't even gather together, just look outside your window, and those birds that are singing, they're singing with you. You know, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a profound thought that we we really often overlook. Yeah, I mean, the creation itself, of course, you know, we. Uh, we talk about the natural knowledge of God. The creation itself gives witness to the to the uh, reality of God, to the existence of God. And we think of uh, Romans 8, that the creation itself uh, groans uh, from the effects of sin and wanting to be uh, freed from it. So creation itself looks forward to uh, the return of Christ and being freed from the effects of sin. And certainly, as Christians, we understand that... Uh, the effects of sin, we feel it all of the time. Right now, the world is uh, focused uh, perhaps a little bit more so than normally, but we realize at all times that the creation is is impacted by the effects of sin coming into the world, and we look forward uh, to the day when we are freed. We look forward to the day when we are gathered around this throne in heaven as well, uh, freed. Uh, from the effects of sin, worshiping Christ. You know, right. Here we, here we do it not quite as perfectly. Right. Well, but yeah, but still here, yet we do it. Right. On the one hand, as you were saying, oh, yeah. we're, we're looking forward to it and waiting for it, and the creation groans. But I mean, again, you know, this is the 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 revelation, the unveiling that was that was shown to John while he was, <clears throat> I mean, in church on Sunday. Right. You might say, like worshiping on Sunday. And this is the vision uh, to a certain extent of what's going on even right now. And so, I mean, how important it is for us not to lose sight of that, 
that in the midst of our separation, in the midst of, you know, I mean, you know, and I, I don't know um, how, how you guys have been able to do it, but for instance, like we've been, you know, uh, streaming uh, services of prayer and preaching, I mean, from a, from a living room, right? And so you, you try to like, you know, put, put things up and light some candles, you know, but, you know, so the appearances are not nearly as glorious as a beautiful uh, ornate church sanctuary, but in the midst of all that, don't lose sight of look at what's happening invisibly right now, right? That the angels are singing with you, that that the animals, right, in the sea, it even says explicitly that the, the, the birds in the sky is like they are actually singing praises to God with you as you offer your praise, right? Like don't feel like ashamed or 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 even discouraged at this time. You know, yes, we're we're fasting and we mourn. Um, you know, we we cry like John, right? Um, but there is one who is worthy. Uh, just just one minute left here, taking a step back, looking at Revelation chapter 5, uh, your concluding thoughts, brother. Yeah, we, uh, you know, again, we weep like John so oftentimes, but we are ultimately pointed to Christ, you know, and we can, uh, we think of the uh, celebration when Christ uh, uh, overcame death and ascended into heaven, and that celebration uh, still goes on even today. Uh, we celebrate that Jesus is uh, at the right hand of God, and He is ruling all things uh, for us. And uh, we we are not alone. Um, we are joined together by our faith in Jesus Christ, and we have His Word with us and His comfort. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Um, again, uh, good to hear that you and your people are doing well. God bless you guys throughout the rest of this Lenten season, and indeed, may may we celebrate with joy again the feast of Easter. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor Daniel Olson, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Luxembourg, Wisconsin, looking at Revelation chapter 5 together today. Uh, beautiful, beautiful chapter. This is the feast, right? Um, we are in worship, and we have the Spirit. We have Jesus Christ in our prayers, even in times like this. Let's, let's pray together, even as we read Scripture together. Moving on to Revelation chapter 6. More of the number 7 here, but giving way to the 4. The 4 horsemen of the apocalypse. Awesome chapter. Check it out. Until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.